back with the Mainland Podcast, episode 31. I am Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, and joining me, Andrew Harrison and Daniel McGann. Guys, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. You know, after after win, after win, after win, let's go. Let's get another one this weekend. Yeah, and I, d- I have to admit, I didn't think that after last week we would be sitting here, three games, nine points. So I'm feeling pretty good going into this week. So, gentlemen, uh, it all comes down to Saturday night against Montreal Impact, and um, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, first, let's rewind, because it's awesome to talk about a 5-2 victory on the road at New York Red Bulls. I mean, the Red Bulls don't drop many games at Red Bull Arena, and they've been a very, very good team this year. They were they had their sights set on, uh, and still have their sights set on, Supporter Shield, and... Lo and behold, little old Orlando City goes into Red Bull Arena and puts a five spot up on the strength of a Kyle Lahren hat trick. Only rookie in MLS history with two hat tricks, guys. I want to start with Andrew and say, you know, uh, the way that that game started with Orlando City absorbing uh, more pressure than I've seen in many, well, maybe since the Seattle game. Did you have any inkling that that kind of performance was uh, was lying in wait for the over the final um, seventy five minutes of that game? No, I, I just no, not at all. I mean, I was sitting watching it at a bar, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a bloodbath." I just didn't know that the bloodbath wasn't going to be on us. Um, <laughs> it was just, I mean, there's so much pressure, and I think you're right to compare it to the Seattle game, and you know, just to be able to soak up that much kind of pressure really showed you what we can do when we actually have you know, 11 guys on the field and we can actually deal with the people and the threats that are coming towards us. Um, The fact that we managed to turn it around after absorbing that much pressure, though, I think is really a good sign for this team heading into next season. But actually, I think we should give real nod to the coaching staff for being able to prepare a team like that. And I know, I remember watching it on TV and it was when we first scored and I just saw, like, there was a shot of Grella um, and he just looked defeated already, and we just tied it up. And it was just like, feels like that was not something you want to see that early on. But I really was really proud that we were able to sustain that, keep it going, and ultimately turn it into a demolition. Yeah, and I think that uh, it, it was an interesting game for, in a lot of ways. First of all, um, Lewis Neal starts on the right wing instead of Adrian Venter. Uh, you got uh, the first start for... Breck Shea, since his return from injury, started on the left wing, but early in the game, Seb Hines gets hurt, and they they had already lost David Mateos before the game uh, with a knock. He had a, uh, been nursing a knock all week. They were hopeful that he could go. He was not able to go. It was a late scratch, and they just didn't want to take a 75% David Mateos into that game, uh, and rightfully so, and Seb Hines did a very nice job until he got injured mm-hmm. on the set piece, and, you know... <laughs> Then you move Luke Bowden over to the center back for the first time in MLS, and Breck Shea slides back, and you put on Carlos Rivas. And, Daniel, the game turned around on that move. Yeah, Carlos Rivas, when when he came in, uh, just was flying up and down that side. with Him and Shea, even at the beginning of the game, Shea looked fantastic. Uh, and Rivas looks like a totally different player over the past month or so uh, than he was in the first few months of the season. Uh, and I think that's where the, the turn happened because we had the ability, even though they had 60% of the possession, even though by all the stats, them being in our half the entire time, them, them uh, controlling the ball in the final third, uh, we did lead the, 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 the game in stats and crosses. Uh, but really, by all the metrics, you would have thought that it would have been 5-2 the other way. 
mm-hmm. outside of us being able to soak up that pressure and then break with Carlos Rivas and Kyle Lahren just being a sniper for every chance that he got, just putting it in the back of the net. I mean, that's one thing that uh, you, you'll notice about Kyle Lahren is the chances that he gets when he's in the box, uh, he takes hold of them. I remember at the beginning of the year, the first couple of games he had, we were like, wow, this kid's just wildly hacking at the ball and it's going over the going over the bar and going in the stands two or three times. And uh, But since then, every, every time he's got his foot or his head on the ball and he's inside the box, it seems like it's going in the back of the net. A very clinical Kyle Aaron, three shots on goal, they all went in the net. So um, <laughs> you can't really do any better than that. Uh, speaking of Kyle Aaron, and speaking of, of uh, you know, a performance, a breakout performance, we've talked on this podcast many times uh, in recent weeks about how tired he looked and how he looked like he just didn't have anything left in the tank. And he came out, said he told the gaffer before the game that he felt good, and, you know, Heath took a, a chance and said, okay, we'll put you in the lineup again. And, wow, did he respond. And, uh, you know, what was what was great to see, not only him getting the record, because that's been something that's been on all our, all our minds for a while, and, you know, thankfully that's over with. But, you know, he did, He just looked so confident with the ball. I mean, he didn't have any hesitation. We saw last week that he played a little leggy, and, you know, he had a couple of shots that were kind of soft and not, you know, or off target and weren't really, it wasn't the sharp Kyle Aaron we're used to. But, you know, Andrew, did he get a second wind or something? Because, man, he looked like the old Kyle Aaron. I think he just realized that how much he really wanted that record and how much to do it against, you know, the leading East team in the East. Um, I'd like to think that he got a second wind. Obviously, one game does not make... Or break a season. I mean, I guess technically it does going into this week. Um, but he just looked so much... He looked like he wanted to play for the first time in several weeks. I don't know. Maybe he just had a good week in his personal life, but he actually looked like he was ready to play. Maybe his pressure brings out the best in him. This is his first time that realistically he's had to have that go for that pressure. He is still a rookie, we have to remember. And the mm-hmm. fact that he was able to produce on the big stage, I think, is good for his career, good for the coaching staff that they managed to maintain, but also the fact that they were willing to listen to him, too. I think that's really important from a player point of view. They could have easily switched him out for Rochez and just said, you know what, you've got to sit, you need some strength, you've got to figure it out. But the fact is, they listened to him, they went into a really big game, and he paid off. And I think that if you can do that as a player and have that comfort with your team, and with yourself, that's only a good thing. And the fact that he made it work is even better for the fans and everybody else around the league and the team. Yeah, he sure did. And it's really nice to see him go out there and not only get the goal, uh, you know, get the get the record, but he got it in style. Three goals, and all three were were really good goals. The the first one off the uh, corner, and then there was the you know just a couple of nice services in from Rivas, and he could have had four goals if. If you know uh, Damian Parnell hadn't put in his own net on uh, on the try for the third one, but uh, yeah, he just he was just worrying the center backs all night, and we hadn't seen that really from New York before. I mean, Miazga and Parnell had looked pretty solid most of the season, and I, I mean, Miazga was really the only one who was potentially competing. I don't I maybe mean, it wasn't for Rookie of the Year, but he was actually having one of those great seasons too. So. Yeah, Miaska actually uh, got two yellow cards trying to trying to uh, you know defend against against Orlando City. So um, he's going to miss the next game. But uh, Daniel, speaking of tactics, because you know, or speaking of coaching, because we we just talked about how Adrian Heath you know listened to his player. But 
I don't think you can really say enough about the job that he's done this year. And when you look at the fact that he went into this game knowing we're going to see a lot of pressure. They're going to jump on us early. That's what happens on the road. Uh, we could just withstand it and get through the first 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll play our game because we match up really well against them. And it sounds like coach speak, but then you see it in action, and you see it really happen, and you think, you know, all the people that have kind of criticized him all year, you know, maybe they don't. Maybe they should probably know a little more about the game before they criticize him so much, you know? Yeah, that, I think Adrian's done a good job growing as a coach this year because at the beginning of the year, we played an all-out attacking style of soccer where we basically just wanted to hold possession the entire time. Uh, and that that is the style of play that he likes with that 4-2-3-1. Um, but we've seen him grow and able to to pull his players back a little bit, play into the shell, let the other team hold possession, and then go on the counterattack. And, I mean, the numbers dictate whenever you're on the road, especially in a game like this against a very good opponent, that's kind of what you want to do. You want to be on the counterattack because you're not going to go in there and hold possession against the best team, arguably, in MLS right now that was on good form. Uh, and I think that's something that he's learned as a coach against him in MLS, which is a, a much tougher league this year than a, a lot would say it was last year. Um, and not only that, but I think with Heath, our front office has grown as well, knowing going into the year, uh, we had a lot of questions on depth because uh, we had a lot of young players, whether or not they'd be able to, to play in MLS. And really, they didn't turn out the way that we wanted to in the first half. But um, you're talking about Carlos Rivas and Roquez now. They're, they're, they're looking good. They're coming in as subs. They're making impacts, which is exactly what you want young uh, players that are young DPs to do, make impacts in the game. And I think just as a whole, the, the club itself has grown immensely over the past couple months. And sometimes it takes that tough spurt to go through where you you don't score goals and you don't get wins and you you literally aren't getting points for weeks on weeks on um and you drive through that and i want to take that back to kyle laren is a very young player first year he has to learn how to be a professional right so when he has these down games where he looks like he's just he's barely there maybe his legs are really really heavy it's totally different being a professional and learning how to the next week work in practice hit the gym, recover, and then come back. And I think that's what we saw with him is, is perhaps learning how to recover from week on week. And that might have been an issue that he, he's had, and that's why he's had those downturns. Um, but hopefully, you know, this, this is something that spurs him for more energy in, in this match this weekend because we're definitely going to need some goals scored on what Drogba was doing right now. Yeah, uh, Andrew, you know, Luke Bowden held his own pretty much, you know, when he moved over to center back, and Inchi had a joke that, you know, he headed more in that, over the last hour of that game, he had more headers than he has all year. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, he, I mean, he did lose Lloyd Sam the one for the one, uh, the second New York Red Bulls goal. He did get lost a little bit there. But for the most part, he kind of held his own. What did you see out of uh, our left back who was suddenly pressed into service as a center back? I think, I'm going to say, I think we just saw another solid performance. We saw a very Luke Bowden performance. He does exactly what he's asked of him in this team. I mean, I remember seeing Heinz go down. I was like, well, we're out of center backs. What the heck do we do now? And so, <laughs> you know, he pulls him over, and I think that's what Luke Bowden gives to this team is he just fits in wherever he can. He's playing for his career. You know, I, you, want to, you don't want to say that, but he is really playing for his career every time that he steps on the field. And I think that just being able to move in there, and yeah, you can definitely blame him for the Sam goal, but he's also completely playing out of position, not really something uh-huh. that he ever played in USL. Um, so I think you really have to give him credit for the fact that we also didn't concede more. 
he was still playing a really solid partnership with a guy that he doesn't spend a lot of time next to because he's busy streaking down the wing. And he played a good role. He, you had to be where he needed to be at the times when he had to be there. And you can't do better than that when you're asked to pinch hit. Yeah, is, that's right. Isn't Lou Bowden just a really headsy player? I mean, you, you notice he, he, he knows the game, right? And that's yep. probably one of the most important things when you're talking about a player that necessarily is not the most athletic. He's not the fastest. Yeah, he's got a good left foot, but, uh, I mean, he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You can kind of put him in that defensive field in a lot of different spots, and we've seen that this year, even with him playing in an attacking left-mid role. Um, so it's, it's always good to have somebody like that on your roster. And I think Luke kind of fills that for us. Uh, and then probably Lewis Neal on the other side in the in the front uh, in the final third. Even though he doesn't really have a lot of attacking flair, he can kind of play that right side in a lot of different positions. Yeah, well, and and they're both really smart players. They know the game. They know Heath's system inside and out. And they they typically don't make mistakes. That's mm-hmm. their thing. They're not yeah. there to really win you the game. They're there to you know not lose you the game. So you know they're important. And you know I, I know we've. We've given uh, Neil a lot of grief because he's he's missed some real gimmies on on the offensive end, but uh, and you know he 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 admittedly didn't have a very good game uh, on you know the other night, but uh, wouldn't they play Friday? Yeah, this yep. was a Friday, so he didn't have a great game, but um, you know, and Heath uh, Heath mentioned it as well on his coaching show, and and you know sometimes you're going to get that, but I think you know Venter's still figuring this thing out. I think it was probably the safer move, you know, playing on the road to go ahead and put the veteran in there. So, I, I mean, I don't really have necessarily a problem with it. I know that a lot of people complained when the when the starting lineup was announced, but uh, it's understandable. Uh, and one thing I will say, though, is this, is right before the half, when uh, Orlando City was up 2-1, it could have been a much different game, if not for our good friend, the Woodwork. Um, <laughs> two, two incredible saves by the Woodwork. Uh <laughs> And maybe a little bit lucky there, but, you know, and, you know, who knows if the first one goes in, maybe the second one, they're not even in a position to get that one. But here, here's my question to you, Andrew, is how important was it from a confidence standpoint to go in, you know, up at, at the half rather than uh, rather than concede that late goal? I think I, I'm always going to say this. It doesn't matter whether or not it's Orlando City or just any other team to concede just before the half you instantly walk into the dressing room with your head held down. And so then the coach has to spend, you know, the first five, ten minutes of halftime just trying to pump you back up and get you back on the horse. Whereas if you don't concede those, you know, he can actually go through the bits that you've actually been struggling with throughout the game, try to deal with individual players that have not been playing well. And I think the fact that we were didn't concede those goals really helped us with our confidence. We said to ourselves, we can do this. We're doing it right now. We've got 45 left to go. Let's see what we can do. And, hey, we went out and did it. So I think that the proof is in the pudding. I think if we'd, if we'd gone in and with those goals had gone in, we probably would have lost because we just wouldn't have been able to follow through after halftime. Yeah, I agree. So let's get to our man of the match for the Red Bulls. Uh, mine is going to be uh, the obvious choice of Kyle Lahren. Does anybody have a dissenting view and, or, or an alternative opinion? Because there were other good performances, um, you know, notably Carlos Rivas and Christian Higuita, who sadly won't be able to play this weekend because he picked up a yellow card. Um, you know, what do you guys think, man of the match? Let's start with you, Daniel. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Kyle Lahren and uh, close second, the woodwork, uh, because... <laughs> 
that could have totally changed the game, just like you said. And if t- it seems like if Tally can't get to it this year, it's either a perfectly placed shot or it's getting to the woodwork. I mean, Tally's been fantastic all year, and uh, I'd say Kyle Lahren definitely man the match and woodwork uh, a pretty far second. <laughs> Andrew? Uh, I am going to dissent on that, and I am actually... I was tempted to give it to Kaká because I feel like he really played the game that we've expected him from this season. He came back in and showed who he can be. If he'd got a goal, I think we would definitely probably have all gone for man of the match for him. But I'm actually going to give it to Carlos Rivas. I think he eventually came. I mean, he was pinch hitting. We restructured the entire side. And for the first time this season, it's like he listened to Keith before he went out there and he stopped shooting, and he started passing. And I have to give him credit for being able to turn that around in a must-win game, and just his statistics of those assists, I feel like he could have had a lot more. Um, He would have had if Pernell hadn't put it in the back of the net. I, I, I just have to give it to him from being able to come in there and actually do what he was put on this earth to do, which is pass the ball, not shoot it at an the stands. How much better has his crosses gotten throughout the year up to this point when at the beginning of the year I just remember he was whacking at it sending it over everyone's head and now it's I mean I feel like most of them are pinpoint he's getting them exactly where he wants them and they're they they have a lot of pace on them and that can only be good for a striker. Yeah that first assist was I I don't think you can make a better pass than that I mean I don't think I don't think Kaká could make a better pass than that. Yep. That was amazing. Um, it was interesting of Kaká, and I, and I just that's why he has to be my man of the match. I just yeah. yeah. No, I, and I have no problems with that. I mean, there were, there were several good players. I thought Aurelian and Colin played very well as well. Uh, Brexhay had a pretty nice night. Um, it's hard know, to no, argue with three no shots points. on goal and three goals, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So uh, you know, I would say this: Kaká would definitely have been my man of the match if that shot on the volley had gone in because that was unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was, it was, you know, he's getting closer. Kaká's getting closer to getting another, getting back on the score sheet. He's, if, he's not quite there yet, but he's, he's honing in. He had, he hit outside, uh, outside netting once and, and just barely missed the, on the other one as well. So, uh, he's getting there, but he had a good game. I mean, a couple of, couple of nice assists. The, uh, the corner kick was well-placed and, uh, his, his pass to Rochez to, uh, to finish off the scoring was was really something you wouldn't see most players try. Yeah. It was uh, you know a quick one. He he knew he saw the guy closing him down. He had a bad angle. Quickly one touched it right back to the other side. It wasn't the best pass, but it was considering you know what he had to work with. That was it was a very sharp and and smart play. And and Rochez was able to finish anyway. Yeah, I feel like so. this game was was one of the one of the only ones I can remember since Kevin Molina went down, that players looked like they were on the same page with Kaká. And maybe that's why it led to us getting, you know, five goals, of course. Um, but it looked like the movement was there for the players up front with Kaká in this one. And they were getting to the space he thought they were going to go to, and they were ready for the pass that he saw coming. So uh, I think that relationship's just building in practice, and, you know, it only looked better for it. Yeah, and uh, we didn't even really talk about Brian Rochez, his third goal in three games off the bench, looking very dangerous out there. And um, it's nice to see that for once, not only does Adrian Heath have a solid attacking option, he has a backup plan in case things aren't working out. So uh, it was it was really great to see, uh, you know, the the designated players all having a good night. 
you know, all at once. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's something we've been waiting on for a long. Well, it's just we've been waiting to see them all three get on the pitch at the same time for a while. So uh, it, it was good to see Kaká, you know, come out and have have a game like he can have, and we know he can have. And Carlos Rivas, just the blinding speed and the pinpoint accuracy that he's shown, uh, you know, it's, he's he's grown so much over the past few months. And uh, Rokas is just, I mean, he's on fire right now at the moment. Absolutely. Before we turn our attention to Montreal, I want to bring this up because we we saw in the news that um, our esteemed owner, Flavio Augusto da Silva, uh, has decided <laughs> that uh, he wanted to put this out there in the press that, yeah, we're interested in signing Cristiano Ronaldo. I would put that on the, the scale of 1 to 10 with 10 being very likely to happen and one being not at all likely to happen, I'd give that about a negative 65. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? Is it just a case of an owner saying, yeah, yeah, if, you know, if we had a chance to get him, we'd get him, but come on. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, haven't we been through this before with De Silva, uh, with Chicharito, and like, you know, he made it seem like we were so close and there was even a possibility when realistically, was it that much of a possibility. I, I just can't see that MLS in the current climate, maybe in 10 years or so, we'd be able to go after that kind of player, just putting up the money to get that kind of player. He's still in his uh-huh. prime. He's still banging in goals. I mean, it was his 500th goal for Real Madrid today. That's mm-hmm. a statistic that will take a while to be beaten by somebody. I just don't see him making a move to Major League Soccer right now in the prime of his career. I just don't see it. And never mind the money that he would want. I mean, it would be ridiculous. Right. He put in uh, he put in 500 and 501 today in Champions League play. So, um, yeah, he's kind of good still, <laughs> <laughs> and he's still, he's certainly you know capable of pulling in another hundred million dollar transfer fee. You know, and um, and he probably will. I kind of think he might go back to Old Trafford and play for Manchester United. Uh, Daniel, what do you think? Is this I personally, I think that the Chicharito thing actually had a chance to happen. I think it it had a chance. I think the player really didn't want to come over, and you know they probably put their best package together and and just wasn't enough and uh, wasn't enough to change his mind. So that's where I think we were with Chicharito. But Chicharito is not on the same plane as Cristiano Ronaldo, right, Dan? No, uh, much more affordable though. And I really do think <laughs> Chicharito could have happened. I think we we might have even been close. Uh, a few times, but then, you know, got separated by money or just him deciding, you know, MLS isn't the time. But when you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, you're talking about, you know, if not the best, one of the best players in the world and of our generation. And does the MLS even have enough money to sign him? Uh, I don't think I don't think Flavio has enough money. If he sold everything, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to pay a transfer fee for uh, Ronaldo, especially not right now, maybe maybe five years from now. Maybe, you know, he goes back to Old Trafford and he wins some things there three or four years, and five years from now he comes to MLS. But even then, I mean, I feel like MLS is going to pull some kind of LA Galaxy, you know, uh, NYCFC now trump card that all of a sudden they're going to go to the top of new some, some new allocation rating thing that we've never even heard of before where anybody named Ronaldo or Messi gets to go to one of those two places. So I, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen here. I think we're going to have to operate with, um, you know, mid-tier DPs like both other, most other clubs, and then sometimes hitting a home run like Chicharito could have happened this summer. 
Yeah, my personal thing thinking on this is that if if Ronaldo does come over and play, I'm looking for you know a few years down the road. He's moved on from Real Madrid. Maybe he's gone back to Manchester United. Maybe he's gone to PSG or somewhere. And he's played a few more years, wants to wind it down, and maybe he's the big star, big splash for LAFC yeah. uh, when they come into the league. That's kind of how I see this. So let's turn our attention toward Montreal Impact. And uh, the Lions are 0-1-1 in the season series. They drew 2-2 in the first meeting uh, at Olympic Stadium. And that was uh, a game in which you might remember that hardly any players for Orlando City were actually playing for Orlando City at the time. There was a lot of international duty uh, going on. There were a lot of injuries going on. And uh, Adrian Heath played this funky, you know, sort of five men at the back kind of thing. And and it seemed to work out. Pedro Ribeiro and Kaká got the goals. And it was a 2-2 draw after falling behind 2-0, uh, in fact. And then the second meeting was 2 nothing. But this is not the same Montreal Impact team because now they don't have Jack Mack as their striker. They have Didier Drogba as their striker, which is uh, kind of like trading in your Pinto for a Ferrari. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a very, very tall ask. Now, we, we do know that uh, David Mateos may not be able to play this week. He's, uh, he's day-to-day is, is their, what they're calling him. He has been out training, you know, on the side, not with the team, not in full team training. So, you know, unless he's able to get back by Friday to full team training, I don't see him being able to play in this game. And Seb Hines is not going to be available after dislocating his shoulder. So that kind of leaves either we go back to Luke Bowden, which, okay, he's going to try really hard and work hard and be smart but he's still going up against Drogba, or we're going to throw a kid like Tommy Redding into the mix. And, Andrew, let me just get your thoughts. If Mateos can't go, what is your preference? Uh, I think we kind of covered it. My, my preference would be Bowden, and the reason for that is he's smart about the game. And I think the way... I mean, Drogba has all the skills, and he also has the intelligence for playing the game. You need somebody who's also intelligent knows what he's doing, and is calm about it. I don't get the same kind of rashness that I get from Colin, even though Colin would probably be his man-marker and come out the game. I would have to go with Bowden. I think we saw the naivety of Redding, um, and you just can't risk that. If you go down 10 men, the game is lost, and uh, you just it's not going to work for us. So I, Bowden would always be my choice, I think, going into facing somebody of Drogba's quality, if Mateo's not right. And we don't know if Piotti's going to play or not, so that might cut off some of his service. But uh, we have struggled against Dominic Oduro and his speed out there on the right side um, this year. Daniel, how is the how's Orlando City going to cut off the service to Drogba? Because if you can limit his service, uh, and, and part of that is don't take silly fouls around the area where he can beat you with a free kick, but if you can cut off the service into the box, you can neutralize him. How does Orlando City do that with Oduro? Uh, it's going to be pretty easy if you want to stop Drogba and Oduro, and that's just keep possession. I mean, we we have to keep the ball, and we get we have to push high with our with our with our outside backs and with our wings. I mean, we have to keep that speed of Oduro 
off of our back line because if he gets behind our back line, he's just going to pick Drogba out and we're going to have an issue all day long. So if we can push up that left back, whoever it may be, probably Breck Shea with Carlos Rivas on top of him, um, I think that speed uh, can negate Oduro. Uh, but then you talk about Dialy Duke on the other side, and that's going to be a hard matchup with Neil tracking back and whoever's playing uh, right back with him. So that's, that's going to be a scary proposition, honestly. Um, but I think just keeping possession, keeping them in their half of the field, because uh, Drogba's not the fastest guy. I mean, he's, how old is he now, 36, 37 Seven. years old? He's, yeah, he, 37. He, he basically just stands inside the 18 and waits for the ball to come him and just scores goals, and that's all he does. So if we can keep him at a half line uh, and trying to play towards goal, I think we'll have a much better chance, and that, that means pushing our, our line up high. That means making him use that speed, and hopefully that can tire a 37-year-old out pretty quick. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful that I I know he doesn't. Ha- I'm not sure if this is the first game he's ever played on turf or if it's just uh, very very rarely. But it's it's a different animal. It's gonna be you know. Let's hope that it's hot. I don't know what the weather's gonna do, but let's hope it's really hot and humid. Uh, and and that turf maybe we can wear him down a little early. But I I agree with you. I think we got to try to keep possession. Try to keep on the front foot and keep the ball in their half. Now that's something that. Orlando City's been a little bit better at doing at home than on the road. So, you know, I don't think Montreal's seen our best, you know, so far. I agree with you. I think that if Shea and, and Rivas are the left side, which I think they should be, that that should worry, you know, Montreal enough to the fact that, that, that Oduro is going to be, it's going to be hard for him to get forward. Yeah. The other thing that we need to talk about is Christian Nagita is not going to be there. Can Servando Carrasco play as well as he did against Sporting Kansas City, and um, where he was just absolutely dominating. Uh, because if he can't do that, then the other guy that can service Drogba in the box is Donadell, and uh, and also Piatti if he plays. So those are the guys that you would typically need your defensive mids to shut down. Darwin Saren, we know what we're going to get with him usually. Um, but with the Gita out, can Carrasco do it? Uh, Andrew, what is your what is your thought in terms of the defensive midfield? It, it it's got me worried when I saw Hagita get that card. I was you know I feel like he's been our player this year, just the the go to guy who's been able to keep his head and do what needed to get done, and he's kept people quiet. I mean, but. I don't think Carrasco can do it, and I don't think Carrasco can do it because it's not Sporting Kansas City, and he don't has, doesn't have a beef with them. I really <laughs> feel like a lot of his performance from that game was because he wanted to show them what he had lost, uh, what they lost, and I just don't think he has the capability. I feel like Montreal have such a strong midfield. I mean, you just look at the people that they've got, and I don't think Carrasco, when the fact that he hasn't been playing week in, week out, would be ready to go against a team that is playing almost two game weeks and is looking stronger by the day because they've got that confidence. And winning breeds confidence throughout the team. And we, he doesn't necessarily have that. I would love to think that he can come in, but I guess, if I remember rightly, his partner during those games was Hagida, so then he's now going to have to come in with a new partner, which is going to be Saran. And learning a new partner, too, in that kind of role, when you've got all that pressure coming at you, is going to be really difficult, and I don't give him that high of a chance of success. All right. Well, then I guess there's nothing left to do, guys, but to talk about our key matchups and our final score predictions for Montreal Impact. Daniel, I'm going to start with you. What's your key 
uh, matchup, and what do you predict will happen at the Citrus Bowl on Saturday? Uh, it, it's definitely going to be our, our center backs and Drogba. It's going to it's going to be whoever is not Colin and whoever's next to him because Drogba is going to play off of both of them. Uh, I can see Colin trying to trying to body him up and follow him around as much as possible, and I think that is something we could possibly do. I think that's something he could he can handle. He's strong enough. Um, but depending upon if Mateos is healthy or not, that, that can definitely be the weak link outside of Carrasco in the defensive midfield. But um, I, I'm going to go with Orlando. I, I think the turf is going to come into play with him. I think we're going to press high. Uh, we have the speed to, to keep them in their own half and, and to scare them enough that Oduro can't come flying at us. Uh, and I see Breck Shea getting on the scoreboard. Uh, and Kyle Laren keep uh, just, just rolling along. And I see Orlando 3-2. Okay, um, Andrew, key matchup and the score prediction. Uh, my key matchup is going to be Dilly Duca on the right side. I just feel like he's been having, he's had a solid few weeks. Um, he's been providing that service we've been talking about, and I feel like if Neil and Ramos can A, both stay on the field and actually keep him quiet, then we'll cut off some of that service, um, and then we'll have to really put it down to our stronger side. But once again, I think it really does come down to whether or not Mateo starts because if you have to bring Bowden into the side and disrupt that left side, you then do have the pace of a Duro that could really cause us issue. Um, but I'm also going to go with an Orlando win. Uh, I'm going to go 2 1. I think Drogba doesn't stop scoring this week. Um, but I feel like the turf plus home field advantage and the fact that we have to win is going to lead us to a victory. Hmm. Yeah, my key matchup. Personally, I think is going to be. It's kind of a cheat, maybe, but it's on multiple fronts. It's it's cutting off the service. That's the key for me. Cutting off the service to Drogba, and that is going to happen on three fronts. Like you mentioned, uh, Andrew, uh, Lewis Neal and Rafael Ramos on the right side against Duca. You know, cutting off that service. I think it's going to have to be Breck Shea on the left side cutting off the service from Oduro. We've seen Luke Bowden struggle against Dominic Oduro this year. He doesn't have the pace. He doesn't have the moves, the quicks to keep up with Dominic. And that's been a problem in previous games. So I think uh, maybe it almost might be a blessing in disguise if Mateos can't go because that almost certainly means that we'll probably see Shea at left back and, and Bowden in the middle. Um, as much as that might not be an advantageous, uh, you know, setup for us, I think the service is more important than having, you know, a center back who's, you know, experienced at, at being a center back. I think it's certainly important, but if you can't get the ball to him, he can't score. So, and then in the middle, it's how Carrasco and Saren deal with uh, Piotti if he's there and Donadell if he's not. And, uh, you know, those are the, those are the three streams of distribution uh, of getting the ball to Drogba. And that's what this team is all about right now. It's getting the ball to their big guy. And if they can't do that, that's the only real way I see of shutting them down. But I agree uh, with the 2-1 Orlando City victory. That's kind of what I'm feeling in my bones. I'm thinking that Drogba gets one somehow. Maybe he gets off a free kick. And uh, Orlando City is able to put a couple home and uh, and take this game and, and extend the playoff life a little bit longer. Um that's what I feel. Now, you guys out there listening, do not run to your bookies with this information. We are not we are not professionals at this at all. <laughs> we have been wrong on more than one occasion. So, um, 
you know, we don't want anybody just showing up saying, hey, you know, uh, I got my arm broken because I couldn't pay back my bookie because I bet on your, your 2-1 score line. Um, don't do that. And it's happened advise, this year already. <laughs> we, we advise against that. So uh, what else, guys? Got anything else on your mind that you want to talk about? Just we just just keep winning. That's all I want. I just want us to keep winning. And uh, I mean, outside of that, you know, I, you guys know me. Like I'm probably uh, I I I harp on this club as much as possible because I want it to be the best. I want it to be the best club in in all of MLS. And you know, I was upset at the front office because of our depth issues and upset about the expansion draft. But the one good thing I can say, positive, no matter what happens uh, this weekend, is that. We have built built a lot of depth. We might not have had the players up front, but we have built a lot of depth because we've had to put players where they don't usually play, and we've had to give them minutes when they shouldn't have been getting minutes. Um, and next year, it looks bright if we can get some nice transfers, and if if we can, you know, if some of these players can grow in the off season, and and Roquez and and Rivas can come in uh, day one. Kevin Molino's back. I'm, uh, I, no matter what happens this weekend, even though I want to win and I want to keep going, I want to get in the playoffs. I'm super excited for for the next season and the upcoming season for Orlando because it, it looks like it's going to be fun. Absolutely, I th- you know I was thinking about this today. If you go back to the two DC United games, and you know if the wall would just do its job in the first meeting, and if Aurelian Collins' hamstring would just do its job in the second meeting, <laughs> then or- Orlando City would be sitting on 44 points in fourth place. And DC United would be sitting on 39 points and out of the playoffs right now, yeah. and that would be pretty advantageous. And then you go also look back to the game before the the, four, the first DC game. Uh, if Vancouver's not allowed to have a free uh, kick in the sixth in the sixth minute of four minutes of stoppage time, then that's yet another point for Orlando City. So every point is so so valuable. And this team dropped some early before they got their bearings. And then, of course, they went through a bad spell when Breck Shea was out of the lineup, and you know there were other, you know there were other issues involved with that as well. But I really look back at this and I see two months without Breck Shea, two months of bad results. You look at the uh, the results were about a month and a half of really good results with with Shea healthy. Then he got hurt. The results turned around. He came back, and the teams won three games in a row. So whether it's just a morale thing or having him around, having him on the pitch, or whether he really does just make that big a difference on the field, giving them extra you know, space and width, um, he's been a real key. And his, his loss this year hurt really, really badly. Uh, but the team has – here we are with three games left. We're an expansion team, and we're still talking about the possibility of making the playoffs. So I think if you would – said that to any of us at the beginning of the season before the first New York City FC game, I think all three of us would have taken that, right? Uh, I would have taken it, yeah. Without a doubt, to just look back, and I mean, you know, it's a case of the how, you know, we just, those defeats were so heartbreaking at the time, and if they literally come back to be heartbreaking again, it just makes this season a little worse, because we did start we started strongly for an expansion side we didn't have the same slumber that New York City did but those two games could have ultimately cost us a season so early on and we just didn't even know it and I think that that hurts a little bit more than it needs to but I want to see my thing for this week is I wanted to see people some turn up Um, I think this is a game where the city needs to turn up regardless come what may happen we just have to get out there and bring your friends your neighbors Anybody you know to the game on Saturday, 
because it's important. I think what you're trying to say is make it count. Yes, I am. There you go. Hashtag <laughs> make it count. Hashtag make it count. <laughs> All right, so go to the Citrus Bowl on Saturday. Everybody, I mean everybody. I don't even care if you live in another country. Come here. Uh, there's plenty of flights into Orlando International uh, arriving daily. So, uh, you know, come here and see the game and then go see the mouse and then go home and you'll have a, a nice vacation. Um but uh, you can find us on the internet, themainland.com, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, we'll have full coverage of this game and, and the last two against New York City FC and Philadelphia Union. And also uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at themainland, again, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D, Maine like a lion's mane. Uh, so we're going to be back next week to break down the Montreal game and uh, look ahead to our third and final meeting with New York City FC, those those oil barons, uh, the oil money bags that have uh, spent a crap load of money on <laughs> on DPS, and uh, you know we'll do it all again next week. So uh, for Daniel McGann and for Andrew Harrison, our our fantastic staff writers at the Mainland, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor, saying, Go City. <laughs>